590 The Fan, Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. Text line always open at 590-590. Mark in Picton says, Gunning <laughs> suffers from toxic hockey brain. Votto said a bad thing about Baseball Canada 10 years ago. Oh, no! Nailed it. <laughs> Do you want to be welcomed into the toxic hockey brain club, Mark and Picton? We are always welcoming members. Yeah. I don't think he wants it. I mean... Not wrong. He, he walked it back immediately, okay? And he played for Team Canada twice at the World Baseball Classic. Oh, oh sorry. Years ago. Yeah, he ten didn't, years ago. Sorry he didn't play with his broken shoulder at 40 years old. He wasn't even playing Major League Baseball games. I don't need your facts in here with my feelings mm-hmm. about Joey Votto. Okay? And you've made your feelings very apparent. Yeah, okay. It's not the first time, but mm-hmm. I, you know, first time here. First time with you. I feel like I've offended your I can, sensibilities. I can, no, I can't wait for us to be doing the show when Joey Votto signs and he's doing the media rounds and, and everybody yeah, understanding yeah. the, the context surrounding you talking to Joey Votto and the me putting you on the spot when we have Joey Votto on and saying, here's your number one detractor. Ingratiate yeah. yourself to, to Brent Gunning. And, and then, then him he, saying, I don't need to. Like, I'm Joey freaking Votto. I'm yeah. the greatest baseball player this country's ever produced. Yeah, and he could also just say, literally just say, go Leafs. And like, say, <laughs> yeah! <laughs> like Scotty Barnes when they went out to Vancouver uh, in the preseason and he yeah. was wearing Canucks jersey and I did not like that. And then he got asked about it at a podium. He said, it's just a shirt. Still go Leafs. And I said, all right. Still love them. Yeah. And okay. so it's, it really doesn't take much with me. No, uh, you are very fickle in that. Oh, regard. I'm a rube. Yeah, All right. So, so now you're like, hey, Raptors, championship contenders, because uh, they beat no. Minnesota t- no, no, no. Minnesota Timberwolves and, and, and Ant uh, by three. And a very impressive defensive performance. It was a bit of a rock fight, but they, they held the T-Wolves to 34% from the field. A bit of a rock fight. They were in a quarry. <laughs> Brought their chisels. Raptors with a robust 40% from the field, but 40% from three as well. They missed a bunch of free throws in this game as well, which is like a a building narrative. I mean, it was the reason why they departed the play-in game against the Chicago Bulls. They were 11 to 16 from the stripe, but they're they're off to a winning start in the Darko Ryakovich tenure. We talked to Bobby Webster yesterday, Brent, Mm -hmm. and he was very open and honest and a great interview, and, and he's done some great things this a uh, two-headed monster at the top of the Raptors organization in Bobby Webster and Masai Ujiri. Uh, th- winning a championship in 2019 gives them executive emeritus status with the Raptors for as long as they'd like. And I think Masai yeah. Ujiri is actually getting paid like he's the, the president for forever. Yeah. And r- again, rightfully so. You pull off something like that, the Kawhi Leonard trade, and then a championship with what was one of the laughing stock franchises in the NBA you 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 rightly have earned that but just like there's been a change in perception around Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins over the last year it's been building but yeah the, the, those guys are no longer getting the benefit of the doubt and maybe I'm just doing the body language doctor stuff mm-hmm. or am I overdoing like the the way a Scotiabank Arena crowd sounds? Raptors fans are some of the most boisterous, though, in all of the NBA. Did seem kind of muted, subdued a little bit yesterday, and they got into it when it was close. But I, I wonder where the fan base is on, on ex- well, I know where they are on expectations for this team, but on the approval rating of Masai Ujiri and Bobby Webster, and this being a big season for them, not that, like, hey, get them out of yeah, here yeah, at yeah. the end of the season, but, like, this is building. 
This is a, this is an organization, and those are two guys that have found value late in drafts and with undrafted free agents. Guy that they they acquired after the draft just signed a ginormous contract mm-hmm. in in Houston in Fred Van Vliet, but. It's been a while since they created that, and they've made some curious, curious decisions. I wonder how important this season is in restoring their their perception in this city. Yeah, the perception question is certainly an interesting one. I do want to quickly pick up what you said about the crowd there. I do wonder, you know, we, we have these conversations with Leaf crowds all the time of, ah, why is it so dead? We... We know why. It's because Bay Street's in there. And yeah. it's just as that's what... But it felt like the Raptors fan... It, they felt immune to that for, for a certain different. time. Yeah. But I also think that the Raptors have become a much more public team in the city. Now, that did feel like maybe that was waning a little bit here, but it's amazing what a championship does. Like, do you think my mom was sending me text about Fred Van Vliet before the Raptors championship run? No, she was not. Like, it's the mom test. That's the level it got to, and it certainly waned a little bit. I think in terms of the perception of how people feel about the front office and the vision those two have is definitely in a questioning mindset, but wholly ready and willing to be won over. I think if the second you see some version of and I'd love to know what this is. They've been very cagey about it. We even spoke to the GM yesterday, and we couldn't get clearly what the vision is. But if Masai and Bobby's vision works, everyone is willing and ready to say, ah, we knew, we should have known all along, never to doubt the cagey exec who takes his time and always has a master plan. I think people are ready and willing to be bought back in with that, and that's why I think it's amazing how important the start to this season is for this team because it does seem like... If they're off to a, you know, a six and two start to start the year, yeah, you start dreaming about that four or five spot and you're safely in. You don't have to worry about a play in. But if it's the other way and it's two and six and you're losing close games instead of winning them like you did last night, then it can easily, easily slide the other way. But I think the fans are wholly willing to be won over on the argument. They just need to see some version or some vision of it. The Raptors are like 10, 15 games under 500 at the trade deadline, and Pascal Siakam's off to a wobbly start, Mm -hmm. and OG Ananobi is, okay, good but not great, and he was pretty great yesterday on both sides of the ball. uh, playing. Great, great defense, and then, yeah, filling it up uh, with the 20-point game as well. If the Raptors are 10, 15 games under 500 to the trade deadline and those assets have been diminished in value, Mm -hmm. there's rightly going to be a lot of questions about why you didn't pull the trigger on some trades either this past offseason or at last year's trade deadline. Why, instead of when you had the same record as the Portland Trailblazers at the deadline, did you decide to give up your first-round pick in 2024 to acquire a guy in Jakob Pertl, who's a nice player, but not obviously a superstar difference-making player. Why did you do that? So- yeah, the, the Pertl trade is one you make for a finishing piece when you're an organization, not one to get you to some floor. Like, that is the thing that I think just goes to the frustration about it. I mean, that's your Marcus Gasol trade that you made when your team was winning, not one with a team that was below 500, I think, at the time it was made. Bobby Webster and Masai Jerry could look real stupid here, right? Like if totally. if, if this team, nobody o- expects if OG it. walks and the pick ends up being yeah, totally. It, 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 nobody expects them to be at the top of the Eastern Conference, but the way they've constructed this team, the way they have not given up assets, the way they have accumulated assets, the way they're talking about it, Stanwell better be not a play-in tournament team, but a team that's battling to get out of the play-in tournament. If it doesn't look like that. And I know it feels like a small sample and, mm-hmm. you know, new head coach and everybody's getting acclimatized. Those guys look like 
dummies. So good for them. They're off to a, a nice little start. And well, and we can we can have all the conversations we want about you know the vision and what they're going to do. It's it really just does kind of to a certain extent come down to Scotty Barnes. If he takes the leap he's supposed to take, or you know however you want to phrase that, as the fourth overall pick and the rookie of the year and everything that he accomplished I mean, in that season. That's one path. I mean, Pascal Siakam can look like an All NBA type player, but we've seen what that looks like when he's the best player on a team. We know what that what that looks like and if you want to hit yourself up for seasons of that I think that's the only reason why it makes sense to extend him and not try to trade him is if Barnes shows a leap and as you see that the two of them are able to play together because if Barnes doesn't take the leap what are you locking yourself into there even if you're able to lock up OG as well we've seen what the ceiling of this group is so that's why it really does all come down to Barnes for me Anything else on the Raptors? <laughs> I'm good. Thanks. Okay, we're going to talk to Alvin Williams later on in uh, in the program. We're not done with the Raptors, but this Raptors discussion is now tabled. Uh, <laughs> the Leafs have two more games to go on this road trip in Dallas tonight against the Stars. Jay Godinger against Joseph Wall, we all expect. And then uh, Hockey Night in Canada in Nashville against Ryan O'Reilly. Ryan O'Reilly revenge game on Saturday. Not Luke Chen. Yeah. Still hurt. He's out for like a month or something. That's not good. Not ideal. Uh, And then return home against the Los Angeles Kings. I think Joseph Wall is going to start in tonight's game, but I expect both guys to share the duties the last two games of this road trip. I don't know. How would you manage Ilya Samsonov going forward, who's, you know, picked up victories, but has looked horrific from a statistical standpoint, not necessarily allowing goals from 200 feet away, but yeah, you got to stop some shots. You've also got to get him back in the net. I, I don't think it's 1000% definitive that he starts on Saturday, but short, short of Joe wall. Cause you know, I was thinking about it. Saturday typically is a special start. You know, it's Saturday, it's hockey night. And it's also in Nashville. It's a little, it is a little different than when you're not at home. It's a little different in Nashville. And both does. guys played last to hockey night in Canada. That's right. Great point. You can, <laughs> you can sell it that way. You just, you cannot, and as good as we all feel about wall and I am as high on wall as I think mo- anybody in this market, I have been, I've been high on the wall supply going back to, to last year, but but when I look at Samsonov, he is still going to be such an important player for this team. And no one wants to think it right now, the way Wall's going. No one wants to believe it right now, the, what you've seen out of Samsonov. If you think this team is going to need one goalie the rest of the way, or Martin Jones is going to come in and save the day anytime soon, not a chance. And that's why you have to get Samsonov back in there sooner rather than later. I suppose if Wall has a shutout, you're not going to take him out. You'd want to let him continue to ride that. But kind of anything short of that, I think you have to go back to Samsonov on Saturday because, that's what I do. because you need that guy and you just can't afford to have him sitting for that long. However bad you think he's been, it's yeah. not going to get any better sitting for three weeks straight or two weeks or whatever. I wouldn't is. be to- so... Um so fickle that I would I'd be flip flopping and and like even like a, a slight discrepancy in performance would would take me away from Joseph Wall as kind of the one to, to Ely Samsonov's one A right mm-hmm. now. Like I think if if Wall is good tonight against a good Dallas Stars team, that he's still the de facto number one, and I would still go to Samsonov on Hockey Night in Canada in Nashville, and I would go back to Joseph Wall on on Tuesday. Of course, the ideal scenario is both guys look spectacular, mm-hmm. and you have a great goaltending tandem, which is what you hope to get out of Murray and Samsonov last year. And, and yeah, at times that looked good, but not surprisingly, uh, it didn't exactly work out for, for Matt Murray. 
Yeah, I, I'm with you in that Samsonov is going to be a huge, huge part of this team because Joseph Wall and I was just extolling the virtues of what he did last season across a couple of levels of pro hockey. It's the first time he's done it, right? And in limited, limited sample, a guy's been injured a lot throughout the course of his career. So has Elias Samsonov as well, right? Like he was injured last season, got mm-hmm. injured in the postseason. Both guys are going to be required for the Maple Leafs. And it was important that Martin Jones is that second layer and that they were able to slide him through waivers. That's not a great scenario no. to have the guy who's no. had a sub 900 save percentage over what the last three years being relied on to make starts for this team in the national. It's like a nice, like break glass in yes. case of emergency. That's not Keith Petrozelli, but yeah, no Martin Jones factoring in is bad. That's, that's not good. Like I, 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 we kind of joked yesterday about trading away Ilya Samsonov yeah. and clearing up his three and a half million dollars in cap space. Job running to that take. Yeah, that's that's not that's not feasible. No. the way the Leafs are constructed from their depth of goaltending perspective. No, not at all. I wonder. I don't. I think it's too early in the season for this. I think that you trust both guys that you don't go this route. But I also think there's something to just the Preds are a less dangerous offensive team. I mean, they have a goal differential of one this year. They've scored 20 goals in seven play, games played. The Kings have scored 27 in six games played. Obviously, the Kings are more more formidable opponent. So I do kind of like the aspect there of Wall getting the game that's going to be a little tougher. But this is always a you could talk me into either side of it because I do love the idea of, hey, Make sure you get your point against the bad team. Put the goalie you trust the most in there, and then yeah, let the backup figure it out against the the team that, that you. Was the maybe, that was the Mike Babcock. That was the Mike Babcockism, which again, depending on the results, I feel one way about or or another. That's the <laughs> ultimate play. The result. They're goalies. Who knows what's going to happen? But yeah, yeah that is. Uh, I I do wonder how much that'll play into the decision making as well. Who do you hate more, goalies or Joey Votto? Oh, I. Uh, I don't, I don't think hate Joey Votto. Is oh, sports the, hate. Okay. Sports yeah. hate. Okay. Well then Joey Votto for sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, they really didn't take no, much for you to say it, that you hate here's Joey Votto. Here's what it is, is that Joey Votto, uh, largely exists not in my world. I don't, I don't consume it. I, uh, I have constructed the internet for myself in a way that I, I don't see all of, I mean, I, I do see it cause I reference it, but I really have set up yeah, a good little force field of the like, eh, look at his silly antics. He's a fun red. I've like, I've, I've kept all of that uh. at bay. So he's not really part of my world. Goaltenders ruin my life on, I don't know. 40 some odd nights a winter yeah, so you can you can avoid joey body it's true bowl, i hate goalies bowl. more yeah oh there. wow that was you did a 180 yeah because i talked it out again i can just i could just put my head in the sand and never think about joey Votto until you make me talk about him for 45 minutes in here today but normally <laughs> i just don't have to think about him goaltenders cannot avoid him you can't avoid thinking about tyler bertuzzi too who's never who's then i think now emerged as the number one new guy who you're like, okay, show me something. I'd like uh, a moment. We sure Tyler Bertuzzi's good? Yeah, we are. We are. We're okay. sure. He's, we're, we're, sure. We're, we're sure he provides a utility to this hockey club, whether they needed to give him $5 million on a one-year deal to do I that. I mean, that's pretty indicative of how the rest of the National Hockey League views Tyler Bertuzzi. He had it was eight goals in, in, in the regular season last yeah. year. He had 11 points in the seven-game series for the Boston Bruins. I understand that, but yeah. He, he was only it's, able to cobble out a one-year deal. It's also indicative of the NHL's free agent class that you just saw. Uh, this ain't Nylander and Stamkos highlighting things next year. It, it was 
kind of Bertuzzi and Max Domi highlighting things and the, and the Leafs got them in terms of free agents that were available this year. So I think that's kind of part and parcel why he got the money he did. But, you know, I, I am not overly surprised by this. I was the person saying, even at the end of last year, when it was pretty much looking like the Leafs and bunting was probably going to run its course was don't take the chemistry that he has had in the top six for granted. And that's not to say it's irreplaceable. That's not to say you had to pay him to maintain it, but there was far from a guarantee that Tyler Bertuzzi was going to come in here and click with anybody in the top six, let alone everybody to the, to the extent that that guy did. And obviously Hyman, a very different player, but the the way he was able to click with players. So yeah, I think it's concerning. You'd like to see it. I, I, I still maintain that, you know, the, obviously the cap is what rules the day in the NHL. And that's what you think of, but Tyler Bertuzzi is never going to hurt you, but he has not been helping this team the way a $5 million player should. Michael Bunting making four and a half for the next three Non-term. years. Yep. Um, yeah, he's five points in seven games, the Hurricanes, including a couple of goals. Mm-hmm. It's just on my radar. That's all. It's early early days. Oh, it's very much on. I am, <laughs> I'm like, I'm sending out radar alerts about that. Have you seen the radar? Yeah. Look at this. His cap hit is a million dollars less than Tyler Bertuzzi. Now, Tyler Bertuzzi, yeah, he waves goodbye at the end of the season if it doesn't work out. And yeah, you got two more years of Michael Bunding. But if Michael Bunding's producing and... Four and a half million. It's a Zach Hyman question. I right. Would they not have just gone back in time and paid Zach Hyman all that money? Yeah. Anyways, I, I, do you disagree with me that Tyler Bertuzzi is now the guy that's under the, the microscope the no. most? Like that John Klingberg had his moment. Like yep. out of the shoot, I think we all were like John Klingberg, and then yeah, he's obviously has his defensive warts, but he's done the thing. Like yep. the power play looks amazing. That's his number one job on this team and when he's in the offensive zone he's he is snapping it around and, and mm-hmm. looks like John Klingberg Max Domi went through it first and then yeah, all the this, game TM. yeah and then he I, again smartly hitched his wagon to Matthew Nyes and they're joined at the hip and picked up another point uh against the Capitals that now it's Tyler Bertuzzi's turn to to be the guy with the, the microscope on him Tyler needs to channel another Tyler in another sport actually I'm thinking, I think I have this right. Former Raptors legend. He needs to watch some psycho T tape. Mm. Tyler Hansbro from University of North Carolina, bleeding out of the mouth, screaming in Duke's face, yeah. being good, but not nearly as good as we all seem to remember at, at any given time. That's all Tyler Bertuzzi needs to do. He doesn't, I mean, we would all like him to have a week where he has two goals and four assists, and they just look like he fits seamlessly with someone else on, the, on this <laughs> run. Forget, forget Matthew's a martyr at this yeah. point. If if he and Bobby Hastings have good chemistry on the bench, yeah. I'm thrilled about it at yeah. this point because he just hasn't shown it with anybody. But I think that's what you need out of Bertuzzi. You just need a few games where you see some life, quite frankly, out of him. And I'm not saying he's dogging it or anything along those lines, but he's brought in here to be yelling in scrums and ratchet that part of the once. game up. We saw it once. We plotted him ad nauseum for it. Would you like those plaudits again? I'd like to see it again. That is the thing that jumps out to me is you don't need him to score. You want him to score. He's a $5 million player. He will score. Five and a half. He will score if he is productive in other ways, but that's the thing. You just, it's, it's almost, it almost goes back to the conversations we, we have about the Jays of try something else. Can you shake Mm -hmm. it up? It does not need to be the home run. Contribute a little bit. Contribute a little. Find a way. Problem that's with why that I go is back. He's, he's taking some penalties. Too, well, right? like, and so I think that's neutered one. that element out of his game to a certain extent because can you be the guy getting pulled out of scrums? And and part of that is you're going to take the odd penalty from time to time when you got dinged with the high sticks the way he did. I really do think that kind of 
put him in a box a little bit and and just made him a less and what you need you don't need him in a box you need him to feel really really you need him to feel like he is contributing and doing it in an aggressive physical manner you need him out of the box yes out of the box player time now for something to chew on brought to you by great canadian meats it is the offseason for a bunch of teams so you know 28 of them okay it's not just the blue jays now that they're i've started plotting their offseason, and there's one huge free agent, and it's Shohei Otani, but there's a bunch of potential swing moves via trade that can occur this offseason. One guy I've been talking about, and I'm glad somebody else now is starting to talk about, he resides in San Diego right now, who um, watched their manager actually just depart for an in-division rival, which is very, very strange. But um, SNY's... Andy Martino uh, talked about Juan Soto's availability and whether the Yankees could be involved. I can tell you that the Yankees and the Padres have had an initial conversation about Juan Soto. Now, that obviously is something. That's why we're talking about it. That's why I wrote it. But I don't want to oversell it either. It doesn't mean that a trade is near, that a trade is likely, any of these things. So to put this in the proper context, hey, there's been contact. And that's something I didn't know yesterday. What I hear about Soto is that he's available but not being shopped, like for the right offer kind of thing. Okay. That's super interesting. It's something I wondered about. This is a guy that's a pending free agent, okay? And the Padres gave up the world for him, although nothing's really come home to roost for the Nationals yet necessarily in that trade. Juan Soto has been everything I think you could have expected him to be as a player Mm -hmm. since he's joined the San Diego Padres. There was a couple of moments last year, like so much went wrong for that Padres team. It's a really weird team because there's Mm -hmm. so many good players that that had Pretty good seasons for whatever reason. They couldn't pick up victory. I think they were like 0-11 in extra inning games. Did like, Kevin Barker give you his theory on this? No, what's too, that? Too many alphas. Yeah. Too much woofing <laughs> in the room. <laughs> Boy, uh, it sounds like uh, there's like a, a vacuum of alphas uh, with the Blue Jays. Yeah. Maybe, maybe. Uh, trade there. Yeah. Right? <laughs> well, that's it, right? Like Juan Soto is somebody anybody could use. But somebody the local nine could very much use left-handed hitting corner outfielder with Dalton Varsho moving to center field. Although I know it's hilarious how quickly we went from blue Jays need more left-handed bats to like, where were the right-handed bats for this baseball team? But no, Juan Soto hits everybody. He gets on base. Yeah. Does the cool thing when they throw a close ball where he like yeah. steps. No, he likes to, he likes to take, that. he likes to take his walks. Um, and somebody, a countryman of Vladimir Guerrero jr. That like, I think can act as a, as a leader, on this team, somebody that if you're trading for, you got to think about giving him the bag. He's a guy. He a jillion dollars. Well, I mean, he's already turned down over $400 million from the and Washington And he is Nash. ridiculously young. That's he's, the other part of this Yeah, as well. he's barely older than Vlad. Like, yeah. they're, they're, it's, he's not yet in his prime. But, again, <laughs> closer to free agency, so it's it's not the same price that the Padres paid for him. But he's out there. He's out there. He's not being shot, but the Padres are listening. And I'm sure the Blue Jays will engage with the Padres on Juan Soto. But what I keep coming back to is it would have been nice to have a little bullet in the chamber of a Gabriel Moreno Mm. to have in in potential trade. Like, I'm sure 
the, the Blue Jays, they, they explored trades with their top prospect, who was a top 10 prospect in all of Major League Baseball for guys that were a little more impact than Dalton Varsho. And obviously things went off the rails from a performance level. They expected more offensively out of Dalton Varsho. But, man, this is where you might have had the trump card. Like, if if, if Gabriel Moreno was was doing what he eventually did in Arizona in Toronto this season, and then you still had your three catchers, and you could swap him for a future of the franchise type player in Juan Soto. Now you got a team. Like, yeah, I guess I'm not saying anything that people don't know. Juan Soto much better than Dalton Varsho. But yeah, you got the team control of Dalton Varsho. But holy cow, it would have been nice to have that. This is why that trade will always hurt. Kind of regardless of what Varsho becomes because even the people who I think are, you know, the most high on him as a, as a player kind of realize, you know, there's a ceiling there and it ain't anything close to what Juan Soto's is. And that's because Juan Soto's ceiling is Cooperstown. And I don't think it's fair to say that about Dalton Varsho at, at all. That is why that trade will always hurt. That was the one chance, you know, maybe Ricky Tiedemann bursts on the scene again this year. And all of a sudden you have another chance, but guess what? You're probably going to need that guy. You can't trade all of the chips. You need some of them to graduate to the, to the big league level. And don't take that as don't trade prospects. You should trade them all. But, you know, just understanding you need to keep some in the system. The the thing I keep coming back to is that that was it. That was your one chance to make a big swing that is supposed to change the franchise. If you trade a player who becomes what Gabriel Moreno has become, but it wasn't a, a wishy-washy thing. He was valued this way yeah. in baseball. No, this isn't a surprise. And now the one thing that I do think we have to point out is it is fair to wonder what Moreno's value would have looked like this year, depending on playing time or what level he would have been at. If the Jays did maintain the three catchers all year right. of having Kirk and play. So I think that is a fair thing that it is possible. The asset would have been, I don't think this would have happened, but it's possible. The yeah. asset would have been diminished if they held on to him for another year. But that is why it's a problem is when you trade a player that becomes what Moreno is, it has to be a crown jewel, a spine of your franchise type move. And Varsho ain't that. It's yeah. One of the most frustrating parts of the Toronto Blue Jays 2023 season is like the sliding door moment of just not doing anything. Like just bring every, just don't do anything. Yep. You still have Gabriel Moreno. You have Tay Oscar yep. Hernandez. You have Lourdes Gurriel Jr. And you don't have... Eric Swanson, okay, that's staying. Like he was a get, significant. Could you still get Kiermaier? Yeah, I mean, I, I guess the money is yeah. is part of it when Teo, you're talking yeah. about Tay Oscar Hernandez. So maybe there's a question mark there. And I think, yeah, you you certainly want Kevin Kiermaier on this team. But boy, it would have been nice to like just not do anything. Yeah, <laughs> it's it is. It will forever be the thing that this era of Blue Jays baseball gets pointed back to. And that's not to say they can't overcome it. That's not to say Vladdy and Bo can mm. one day become good enough to carry this team to whatever heights they want to get to. But it will forever be the thing that could have made this era better than whatever it ends up being is that Moreno trade. Well, what are the Toronto Maple Leafs if they've got a goaltender of the future and Joseph Wall, who's under contract at less than 800K for this year and next? We'll talk, uh, talk to Jason Bukala of uh, Sportsnet's uh, hockey broadcast as the Leafs get set to face the Dallas Stars tonight. It's the Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus Podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Sportsnet 590, the fan, Van Ennis, Brent Gunning. Leafs and Dallas Stars tonight from Big D. As uh, Stars off to a nice little start. Jason Robertson only has one goal, though. Hmm? One so, more than Nick. That's rude. Nick's off to a nice little start in the A, yeah, though. <laughs> Three goals in five games, I What believe? year is it? <laughs> what year? It doesn't matter because it's still the same story. I would love, I'd love one day. Uh, for him to come to fruition as an NHL entity. But uh, yeah, until it happens, not holding my breath anymore. We've been I mean, down we'll this always, road a few we'll, times we'll before. We'll always have that overtime, right? Uh, yes, we will. Yeah. Hopefully for him. so fondly of it, you could tell. <laughs> Hopefully uh, there's more career highlights to come for Please. Nick Robertson. Um, but yeah, he's applying his trade at the American League. It was not the first call up. Least needed forward. They called up Centerman, Pontus Holberg. But I'm sure he'll get his opportunity. Leafs aren't going to go the whole season fully healthy on the front end. Uh, Dallas Stars 4-0-1 to start their season. Three-game winning streak for them as they host the Maple Leafs tonight. The Maple Leafs, by the way, haven't had an October three-game winning streak in a normal season since 2018. So, yeah, strong starts. Not on the line tonight. Yeah, have not been this team's strong suit. Let's talk to uh, Jason Bukala, Sportsnet Hockey Analyst. Good morning, Jason. Good morning, fellas. How are you today? Doing all right. Lots of conversation around goaltending around these parts. Um considering the way Joseph Wall has played recently and considering how poorly Ilya Samsonov has, has played uh, this season, it's it's so hard to evaluate goaltending if, like, it's not your number one thing or you're a former goaltender. But, I mean, how much of a sample do we need before we start believing in Joseph Wall's potential to be a number one? Wall's been building towards this, guys, for, for quite some time now. Like, he's ready for this opportunity. He's put in the work. He's... Uh, He's definitely uh, programmed appropriately for the opportunity. I'll put it to you that way. The, the thing with this kid here is that, um, you know, when you watch these two goaltenders try and stop pucks for the Leafs, uh, one guy is is clearly struggling, and we get it with Samsonov. But, uh, you know, the thing with Wall is he plays between the posts. He's got great composure. He's, you know, he's a big body, um, you know, Pucks come to him, and he's not kind of wandering around looking to make these stops that uh, pull him out of position in case he has to make a second one. So I love the stability of his look right now. I think that he's ready for this. Is he ready for it for the whole season? I don't know. Time will tell. It is early. I like to try and do things in, in segments. It's, you know, like 10-game team segments, if you will, when I'm when I'm scouting. But with goaltending, you know, it's obviously harder to do that because you got to ride the hot hand and, for me personally, it's it's Wall's net right now, and and Samsonov needs a uh, he needs a reset for sure. Yeah, I don't I don't know how you can look at it as any other way than than Wall's net. And to the point you mentioned, I don't think there's anybody who covers, watches, cares about this team that thinks that it's going to be his net the whole year. We've seen this thing get handed back and forth, and whether it be injury, whether it be performance, it, it tends to be the way it goes. You know, you mentioned trying to break seasons up into segments. I, I'm trying to remember uh, the the old adage I've heard of like, you know, you don't know what an NHL defenseman is until he's got 300 games under his belt or something along those lines. Do you have a kind of threshold for goaltending where you? say okay we've now got a hundred starts okay we've now had two full seasons is there a kind of number or a, a minimum body of work you need to have before you totally buy what you see from from a player at this level and specifically with goaltenders i imagine it's a little different than with uh, skaters yeah really difficult with the goaltending just because of circumstance i mean you might have a young guy who's been a protege you know behind a behind a veteran guy for a period of time and you know he's been putting in the work behind the scenes which is a lot different than 
you know, on the forefront. I, you know, for me personally, for a goaltender, I don't think that they hit their stride completely and they're completely comfortable until they've done a loop around the league at least three times. And, and that can be as a starter or a backup. You know, you got to get used to the travel to every rink. You got to get used to the surroundings in every rink. Stop pucks, whether that be in a pregame skate or obviously live game action is the best. But, you know, if I had to do three loops and, and you know, for Wall, you know, he's not going to be totally comfortable as an NHL full-time starter as a one or a 1B until I'd say 100 games if I had to put a, na- a number on it. And I know that sounds like a lot, but that's really two seasons worth of being a starter before you really hit your stride. So that's kind of where I'm at with it. He's nowhere close to that right now, obviously, but he's, he's, he's put in his time. Like years ago, I'll give you an example real quick. Like years ago, when I first started my career in the scouting industry, we had uh, Pekka Rene in, in Nashville, and he didn't arrive in Nashville with the Predators until he was like 25 turning 26 as a full-time starter. So it's a slow burn with goaltenders. It's usually two cycles of contracts, your entry level and then your second deal before you get these opportunities. And um, I just think Wall's ready for this, guys. He looks, he looks, he looks fine-tuned right now. He does. The, the sample is growing by the day. Uh, Fraser Minton, not a surprise that he hadn't quite looked like he was ready for it. Just turned 19 this summer. He's now spending some time in the press box. Um, what, do you, what do you make of the decision to keep him with this, this Leafs team? And, and what did you make of the early season returns on Minton? And, uh, and do you think he deserved to be the odd man out? Well, I, I started tracking Minton, uh, you know, in Traverse City at the the rookie games, and clearly everybody recognizes that rookie games are are a lot different compared to the the big club uh, training camp and then training camp games and then into the regular season. But but he never went away, and he, he really hasn't gone away. But he's certainly run out of gas a little bit here, hasn't he? Like he's not um, he's not, he's not producing any offense. Now, having said that. He hasn't been a detriment either. Like, you know, his compete's fine. He's uh, he's responsible defensively. Um, there's lots to like there. I just think that at this stage, it looks more to me. I said a week ago that he needed a 10-game runway. And in that 10-game segment, if you will, to get the 10 games, to, to earn a spot to stay, he'd have to have, you know, two or three points, let's just suggest, because he has had some chances, some looks at the net. But more importantly, you know, he'd have to check properly, win his his share of face-offs in all three zones and it kind of uh, mine out a role in the bottom six. Uh, I think right now he looks more likely to go back to junior than stay. Um, it, it wouldn't have been fair to send him back right away because he's earned the runway to, to be around the club. Um, he's going to be better for the experience in the long run, but I think at the end of the day, you're going to see him back in Kamloops. Yeah, it does seem to be the the way it's trending. And, you know, I think it's a, a fair development question of, of you know, how much better or how much more is the player helped by going back and getting to be the man. And, you know, he's part of a leadership group and he's on the first power play. And, you know, I know he played in the Memorial Cup for that team last year. Like, I, I can only imagine, and you can speak to this, obviously, what that does for a player, giving them that draft, I guess it'd be plus two season for him now, you know, world junior player, getting to take on more mantle of responsibility. What does it do for, for a player? player getting to go back obviously if he's stuck with the Leafs it'd be a good story but do you do you think it's fair to say that this will likely help his development more getting to go back and have the year he's going to have at Kamloops yeah I absolutely believe in that I mean something that's really impressive if you guys think about it is you know he did play in the Memorial Cup so the, the kid played 
almost to the beginning of June. So he had his longest season as you can possibly have in major junior hockey. And then, you know, he put in the work in the off season to get prepared to, to be at Leaf uh, camp early in September. And, and that says a lot about his character, doesn't it? You know, because a lot of guys play a long year and it's like, oh, you know, I'm tired. How much work do I have to put in here in the off season to get ready to go right away? And there was no hangover for him. He's going to go back. He's going to, he's going to play, you know, an elevated role, an even more elevated role. I don't know what Kamloops will do with him long-term, but he's going to be a key part of the World Junior team in Sweden this year. And, uh, you know, so that's going to eat up a big chunk of his December into early January time frame. But um, I really like the kid's character. I think he's come a long way. Um, but but let's not, let's not overhype this either. Like, Fraser Minton on projection, guys, he's not going to be a top six, um, scoring like when Nice comes in and he plays a heavy hard game and and scores uh, more coming out of Minnesota. Not like Minton's going to be. I call him a two and a half. He's not going to be a pure two where he's going to you know uh, be a seventy point guy at his peak. I think you're looking at Minton being between a sixty and seventy point guy in the NHL, but he's going to do all the other things really well for you. you know, he's going to kill penalties. He's going to match up. Obvious, you know. Obviously, if he if he wants to be a point per game uh, two way center, they would certainly take that. But isn't that kind of what the Leafs need? Is some more of those players to come up in that kind of middle six, and it is more of a defined. That's going to be your your role. I mean, you, we talk so much about this team now. Tyler Bertuzzi hasn't quite found a foothold. Max Domi returns her fifty fifty on him so far. You know, it's and again, I realize that that you know Fraser Minton isn't going to fix any of that this year. But just when I think back to the Leafs teams, and it's not just this year. It's the last three, four, man, we can go back to them trading for Brian Boyle at the deadline, the year they lost to, to Washington in Matthew's second or second season there. It feels like they've always been searching for the, that kind of middle six body. So I don't know that it's the worst thing if that's what Minton uh, ends up being. And I don't know, maybe you can speak to whether Cowan kind of falls in a, a similar group there, but it seems like that's what the Leafs need is that, uh, and a mushy middle is such an ugly term for it, but that kind of middle six forward. No, I 100% agree with that. I mean, I, I feel like we've been shopping for that type of player or discussing that type of player for, for quite some time. And, you know, if Nylander, let's just project out into the future. If Nylander, um, if they work some deal out with Nylander and he decides to stay, and then you look at that core and they're here for, you know, I don't care how many years, you know, going forward. Call it the next five years just as a window, okay? Well, then the Mintons and the Cowans will arrive and they're a different kind of player. Oh, like Cowan plays like his hair's on fire. Like this kid plays hard. He's mm-hmm. gone back to London. He's he's got a little bit of rat to his game and the offense. So this is exactly what they need, guys. That type of uh, character player. And Mitten's a bigger body, right? So we're getting away from a little bit of that size structure that we've seen in the past. Where you know, let's be honest, that a lot of the prospects have been on on the undersized side and really skilled guys. It's it's really it's really a nice kind of change, and I think it's a, a wave that's. Uh, that's going to fit out well with the Leafs going forward. And the Tverdberg kid, too, who's down in the Marlies, he's got, like, I think four points in five games. Like People talk about Robertson. Ryan Tverdberg, he's a seventh-round pick, and that's how he plays, too. You know, in your in your face, uh, a lot of grit and determination. So they've got that on the horizon, and I think it's a good fit. Yeah, you mentioned Cowan, who's off to a nine-point start in his first six games with the Knights. He's got four goals as well. I mean, could be a couple of Leafs on that Canadian World Junior team. Like, where where is his game at now after getting an opportunity at Leafs camp and opening some eyes? Uh, he hasn't skipped a beat. So he's a couple of things. Like, the Hunters running the London Knight program there, they're not um, – 
they're not going to. I hate to say they're not going to allow, but I'll put it this way: Easton Cowan recognizes when he when he even though he had a good a good run at leave camp, a little cup of coffee there, a lot of attention. He played very well and earned all the accolades at training camp. There is sometimes that NHL training camp hangover when juniors go back and they you know they they have a little more swag or it takes them a little bit of time to get back into the flow. Not Cowan. He didn't. He hasn't missed a beat. He's playing exactly with the way that he did at uh, at Leaf Camp, and it's a good news story for for him, and it's a good news story for the Knights. And London's a juggernaut; like they they should go on a long run. He's going to play a big part of that. Uh, this will that that's not shocking news to anyone with even a passing uh, understanding of the OHL. Shocker! The London Knights are, are good. <laughs> it seems like they always they always uh, f- find a way. Uh, somebody who we all expected to find a way was Tyler Bertuzzi. He gets the big ticket, albeit on a one year deal for for this Leaf team. And you know, I'm not I'm not so much asking. Are you surprised by the start for Bertuzzi? But the thing that's jumped out to me is how little of the Tyler Bertuzzi has been in his game lately. You know, the snarl, the bite, the being in people's faces after scrums. And, you know, I keep going back to, he took a handful of high stick and penalties really early on in the season. And I do wonder for a player like him, how cognizant would he be of kind of penalty differential and being caught taking a few penalties and maybe that altering the way or the way he plays his game. Cause that's kind of been my theory on why there's been maybe a little less nasty version of Bertuzzi plus whatever it is. He, he, he seems to be dealing with physically here as well yeah you know i don't know what the physical uh ailment is but you know it's it's been widely reported that he's kind of battling through something here early in the season so certainly i think that affects your your mindset when you get one to a scrum or the hard areas i mean that's just human nature isn't it if you're not quite right um bertuzzi's been um just okay for me in the big picture in terms of playing to his identity but it could be a lot worse too. Like, I mean, he's a plus three on the season. You know, he's got 10 pims. I, I do feel like he's following the play instead of pushing the play. And he's not really as, uh, he's not jumping to my attention as much as I was uh, hoping he would early in the season. But having said that again, um, six games in, let's see where we're at at 10 games and then 20 games. Um, I'm expecting more offensively guys, you know, let's not forget before he got traded to Boston, even though he's dealing with some things in Detroit, uh, his offense has been kind of all over the place the last uh, couple of years. And this might take some, some time for him to play out that way. But and when he gets hundred percent healthy, and we know that for sure, I'm looking for him to get more of that uh, Darcy Tuckerish type of approach to his game because that's oh, what's yeah. speaking my language, Bukala. <laughs> yeah, well, they don't make them like that anymore. He's one of my favorites. I'm, I mean, I'm hoping that Pertuzzi can be 80% of that because yes. uh, that was fun to watch back in the day. Yeah, uh, let's see if he can produce in the playoffs like he did uh, with the Bruins in seven games last season as well. Uh, Jason, always appreciate the time. Thanks. Awesome, guys. Have a great day. Thanks for having me on. You too. Jason Bukala, Sportsnet hockey analyst. Yeah, the, the scoring's been all over the place. You, A smart person said that to me already. No, not a smart. It was you. Yeah. You said that to me already this eight, morning. Eight goals last year. Yeah. It's not a lot. A lot in the playoffs, though. Yeah. You know, the ones that matter when it's tough man yeah, hockey and yeah, you lose yeah, series in seven yeah. games. He was a Leaf already. Yeah. Get to sit here and say, hey, he scored. It's not his fault. And yeah. he lost in seven games. We should have known. <laughs> He's a leaf, leaf, baby. Yeah, and he has the 30-goal season, and he's a couple of 20-goal seasons before that, too, right? Like, he's going to be fine, fine, fine. But, yeah, the idea that it's, like, an obvious obvious fit, I I don't know. He needs to be meaner, and I think they're the... 
the ailment is made like no one wants to be hurt, but thank God he's hurt. Because if there was not the story of he's dealing with something, right. and it just looked like this. That's it good wouldn't. PR. It wouldn't be this conversation we'd be having. It'd go. Ah! Wasted five and a half million against the cap is what it would sound like. You know who we haven't talked enough about, and maybe there's not enough time to do it now, and mm. maybe we'll do it later. Timothy Lilligren is playing almost two minutes more per game this season. Yes. Like he's he's doing the top four thing. Now, whether it will work out in the long term, I'm not one hundred percent convinced of that. Yes. But he's he's playing the role of, of steady hand to Jake McCabe. Mm-hmm. And and he's being asked to do a whole lot more. And so far, like the, the the results have not been, they've not been bad. Nope. Like he's been again perfectly cromulent so far this season, <laughs> playing almost twenty minutes a game. Timothy Lilligren. Maybe it's happening for him. Maybe um, we should be careful about that. But this is the point I've kind of made about defensemen in other markets: is that it feels like a leap is happening when you're not watching them super closely. Because if you just lay out those numbers, of, hey, Timothy Lilligren's a you know playing top four minutes for a team that has a four and two record, and Joseph Walls looked the way he does, you say, ah, okay, there it is. He must have taken a leap, and that's oversimplifying it a little bit. But that's always been the you know much like we much like we point to Nick Robertson as kind of the one Leafs forward prospect, and this was before Minton and and to a way lesser extent Cowan kind of bursts on the scene. You say that's the guy who can change things up front. Lilligren is the one guy who could change the fortunes of this team on the blue line. Cause that's the only place a leap can seemingly come from. Morgan Valley is who he is. Brody is who he is. Geo mm-hmm. Klingberg keep going down. That's the guy who could change things. And it's Lilligren. We'll see. Playing almost 20 minutes a game. Time now for the wake and rake presented by sports interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local. Why not start with the Toronto Maple Leafs in Dallas to play a Stars team that's off to a spectacular start with arguably the best goaltender in the National Hockey League? How about this? The Leafs underdogs for the first time this season. Plus 105 on the money line. Stars minus 125. Uh, The total, as usually is the case at this point in the season, six and a half. Uh, And we don't have a defense. Definitive mm-hmm. word on Joseph Wall, the starter. I think we can probably, you know, Safely lean in, assume. in that direction. For me, I mean, if if it is Ottinger and Wall, a couple of guys who know each other pretty yep. well and are off to great starts of the season, how do you not look at the under? It's so this is the problem with this Leafs team is the under is almost always the right bet, but then you just look at Austin Matthews or Mitch Marner or William Nylander and John Tavares and say. Hmm one of them can kind of decide that it's not going to hit tonight. That's the terrifying thing with me. I I just look at the money line. You never, ever get yeah. the Leafs as dogs. And Dallas is a really, really good team. So are the Leafs. You're going to have a good goalie in there and wall. That's the thing I'm, I'm most comfortable with is just straight Leafs money line plus 105. Uh, the Stars and their opponents have only combined to go over the total six and a half one time this season. Mm. So yeah, maybe right. leading leading credence to my into, it. To, I, into my underbet. I'm there with you. Jake Ottinger's good, okay? <laughs> no arguments for me. Joseph Wall has been good. We'll see if that continues tonight. Uh Thursday nighter, Buffalo Bills at home against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Baker Mayfield. It is crisis time for the Bills coming off a couple of like underwhelming mm-hmm. To, to say the very least about what's going on with the Bills, the last two performances, they are nine-point favorites at home against the Bucks. Man, I, I, I want to lay the points, but have you watched the Bills' offense recently? They just lost to the Patriots, and they're nine-point favorites. We are not <laughs> taking the Bills to cover. I will not allow it. 
Yeah, I don't know how you do. I mean, this is a, a, a matchup that they they should be motivated to 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 lay the beat down. Yes, on this should be the get right. Middling, game. but th- th- we see Thursday nighters all the time. Exactly. Like even in the best of times, like exactly. you, you take the points, but especially the way like the Bills ended up scoring almost thirty points against the Patriots, but well, we were single digits in the first half. Like there's just not enough. Th- I understand the defensive yeah, limitations yeah. of this Bills team, considering sure. the injuries. It's the offense that I have more concern about. I, I, I can't, I can't touch the the Bills at, at minus nine in this game. No, I don't know that I'd take the Bills if it was minus six and a half. <laughs> so I'm definitely not taking them at nine. I hate big spreads, but it's Thursday and the Bills have been brutal. Yeah, give me the Bucks to cover. All right, that was the Wake and Rake presented by Sports Interaction, your homegrown sports book. Bet local. When we come back, what a start for the Raptors. Defensively, at least, and certainly on the run, getting it done against the Minnesota Timberwolves. We'll talk to Alvin Williams next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan.